0: Uh, Tonight, we're actually, this afternoon, we're gonna have our first meeting of the transitional focus team. So I want to remind them to be able to come and bring your notebook and bring your homework. You were supposed to do some homework. So if you can, bring that. If you didn't do it, that's okay. You can have a mulligan. You know what that is? A do-over, right? My students like to have mulligans when they forget when to turn their papers in. Anyway, uh, we want you to come and be here tonight at 5.30, and then we're going to start our meeting at 6. We have uh, a meal. We, th- we thank Ellender for uh, connecting us with that, and uh, we're going to have a great time. And we are in the process of the transition, and we are working towards uh, the various goals from the pulpit as well as from meeting together. And those who are on the transitional focus team will find out tonight how some of this has been working together even if they haven't been aware of what I've been trying to do but we're going through what makes an essential church what what develops the kind of church culture that uh, of a church that is vibrant and alive and revived and excited where people uh, just don't come to bide time in the various activities and things and churches can get really really busy with just activities But those activities uh, really don't satisfy the soul, but an essential church has a church culture where the soul is being nourished, where people are figuring out what to do in life and how to face the difficulties of life. Because let's face it, life isn't easy. Sometimes it's hard. And uh, we have to focus on our walk with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ And when we come to know Christ as Lord and Savior, despite what some people might say, we don't automatically become a perfect spiritual being. As a matter of fact, we become a babe in Christ. And as a babe in Christ, we do like every other baby has to do. It has to learn to walk and talk and and do things. And some of us are doing pretty well at learning in our faith and others not so well and we all need encouragement and we all need help and we all need someone to, to talk to us and guide us and we need to study uh, we study the Word of God and God teaches us how to go out there and meet life and how why he loved us so much and why he made us and why we're so special to him uh, that he gave Jesus on the cross and that cost was so amazing but he died on the cross for our sins, and how we can respond to him as as a believer. Becoming a believer is not securing just heavenly fire insurance. It's actually beginning to walk with eternal life from the moment you've asked Christ into your heart, seeking to know God and seeking to do his will, seeking to glorify Jesus. So what we've been trying to do is to preach on subjects that relate to the essential church, that relate to how we face difficulties in life. How together as a body of believers, we grow in Jesus Christ and the world sees that. So today, when we just finished up on prayer, prayer is the foundational principle of the essential church. It's the foundational principle of the essential church. If your church wants to be really essential where people don't feel like they have to come because it's a duty, they feel like they come because they're being nourished and fed. And God is here in our presence right now with us, and he's here, and we're learning not to ignore him and just do the duty, but to really listen to him and meet him and be changed by him so that the world sees that in us. And that's how God wants to make a difference in in us and in the church and in life, is when people see what God is doing in us. In fact, we're going to actually see that here in this text that we're going to look at this morning in Psalm 34. So we've taken a couple of Sundays to work, obviously, on the Great Commission, which is the big overall marching orders of the church. We are founded on the Great Commission. Go and make disciples, teach them, baptize them, and and let them know that Jesus has all the power and he's always with us. And and that's our, our marching order, our big overarching purpose. But then what do we do? In, in that respect, in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, told us what the early church did, and they, they continued working in prayer, and they continued doing evangelism and ministry, and they had fellowship together, and they were teaching the apostles' doctrine, and everybody was growing, and God was growing them, and God was growing the church. One of those things that they did is called breaking of bread. They continued daily, it says in Acts 2, 42, of the breaking of bread. The breaking of the bread is not just eating together. It's not just fellowship. The the words that are used there are reminiscent of Jesus doing what? Taking the bread and breaking it. And that forms part of our Lord's Supper memorial service. When we have a, a, a memory, a time of getting together to remember what Jesus did in what we call our Lord's Supper service We break the bread like Jesus did, in a way. Jesus took the bread and broke it and gave thanks. So what I think in Acts 2.42, the phrase breaking of bread refers to worship. And that's a serious and very, very important part of the essential church. The essential church has a worship service that changes lives. The essential church has a worship service that teaches, that deepens our walk with Jesus Christ. The essential church always has a worship time where the very presence of God meets his people. Now, there are a lot of things we can do to ignore God's presence, and sometimes we forget how to recognize his presence in what we do. That's next Sunday's sermon. But this Sunday, I want to tell you that you need to think about worship as being one of those five essential acts that a church does. If you, if, if you want Providence Baptist Church to be an essential church, one of those things you've got to pay attention to and get the most out of is worship. If you want to be a believer that's walking with God, not just being part of Providence Baptist Church but everything we say is basically also focused on the individual believer as well. If you really want to get the most out of life and have a life that really makes a difference for time and eternity, then you also need to make sure that worship is in your life, that the very presence of God is there in your life. Now, it's interesting because God is not a guy who comes up like a, well, I don't know, an aluminum siding salesman and bangs on your door to get you or, you know, sign up for a timeshare or something. People are always calling, like, I don't have student loans, but I get student loan calls all the time, you know? It's just people bug us about things, and those things aren't really as essential to our lives, but the very presence of God in your life is essential. So how do you know when God is in your life and when his presence is there and you're there? And that's what worship is all about one of the three things that we have up on the banners up here loving god loving people and and serving the world the very first one loving god is basically worshiping god how do you love god you worship him how do you show people that you love god you make it a priority to worship him how do people get the point about worship is when that worship that you have for god is real and deep and it's spirit-led And it makes a difference in your life in the way that you deal with each other, the way you deal with yourself, the way you deal with the world. And that's what worship is all about. So we need to figure out how to get the most out of our worship. And it's something we need to sometimes be taught and sometimes to think about. And that's what I want to talk about here in Psalm 34, 1 through 3. It's from David. The Psalms may actually be called the prayer notebook of David. You remember we talked about prayer and keep a prayer journal? It may very well be the prayer journal of of David. The the superscription in this text tells us some of the things or the reasons why David is saying this. So let's go to Psalm 34 and read verses 1 through 3. And we're also going to look at the superscription, the thing that comes first. Concerning David, when he pretended to be insane in the presence of Abimelech, who drove him out and he departed. Now, that's a story uh, in Samuel, uh, the book of Samuel, where David winds up being uh, captured or in the midst of the Philistines, and he's been kicked out of Jerusalem by Saul, who wanted to kill him, and in his Fleeing, he wound up in Abimelech, a Philistine's uh, king's camp. And the only way he could survive was to pretend that he was insane, that he was going a little wacky, you know. And instead of Abimelech just killing him, which he wanted to do, he just decided to boot him out of the camp. And so David is, in this case, thankful because of what God had done for him. Now, we don't know for certain that these superscriptions are really connected to the the text itself because some of these come in very late manuscripts and some of them don't manuscripts don't have these superscriptions. But it's an idea that could give us reason to understand that David is going to praise and worship God precisely because of what God has done for him in a very messed up and crazy and dangerous situation. So we know that David is coming to rejoice in God, and God's care for him and watching over him, even in the midst of really difficult times. But this is what David says in verse 1 through 3. We're just going to look at the very first three. It's actually what we call a call to worship. And it's a very specific call to worship, and it's things that... Like this, a call to worship, the very first three verses that teach us about worship and how to get the most out of your worship. This is what David says. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. I will boast in the Lord. The humble will hear and be glad. Proclaim the Lord's greatness with me. Let us exalt his name together. Then David goes on in the rest of the psalm to tell us what happened and what he did and and things about this particular point in his life when he came to the Lord and the Lord delivered him. But the very first three verses are what we call a call to worship. It's very, very clear that this text is not just an offhand, hey, let's just show up at church, but it's a very sincere call to worship. And if we respond to that call, the offering of God and the result of responding to the call is to strengthen us to meet the difficulties of life. So looking at this, we learn certain lessons, certain lessons. So number one, in the very first verse, I believe we need to learn to get the right attitude. So we're going to read a little bit between the lines, the text itself, but kind of ask a couple of questions about it because it's David's call to worship but we want to know what's going on. David starts off by saying, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise will be on my lips. I think that uh, we need to make sure, it will always be on my lips, we need to make sure that we have the right attitude about worship. David's attitude was, and and we might think of the idea of praising and the idea of blessing the Lord, but you find his attitude more in what he adds there. He says, I will bless the Lord when? At all times. And secondly, he, his praise, he says, it will be on my lips, but always on my lips. So David is sort of giving us a little bit of an attitude here that he's really serious about worship. This isn't just a half-hearted Oh, let's go and do this once in a while. We do it once, one, every Sunday morning, we got to do it. Some, some angel in heaven is checking our attendance records here and ch- putting a check mark by your name that you're there, you know, as if it's a duty or a ritual or just something we do. Um, I, um, I went to college somewhat down in the deeper south, not so deep in Tennessee, and I met a lot of people who went to church on Sunday morning because that's what you just did. It was your culture, you know. If you didn't go, it wasn't because you were, you know, what's the word I want to use? It's, you know, backing out on God. It was just you didn't, you went because if you didn't, then anybody around the culture said, nasty, oh, no, no, you're bad. You're being bad today because you didn't go to church. Well, worship isn't about ritual. It's about an attitude of wanting to praise God, of wanting to literally lift him up and, and and bless his name always and give him praise always. It's not just something you do once in a while to make God happy or to make somebody think that you're a good Christian because you show up. It's because you know or you're going to understand that by worshiping God, there is a tremendous Deepening of spiritual blessings that come when we recognize the presence of God in our lives, when we affirm that presence, and when we live with the fact that if we know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, he promised us that he was going to be with us always. So there's nowhere you can go to get away from him. So you need to come to God with praise, with Jesus with praise, and with blessing. It's interesting to talk about blessing. But you see, his attitude was that it was always to be done. And he says there, let me do this. I will praise the Lord. I I wish to do it. I want to do it. My attitude is changed from having to do it as something I just have to do, and may even be odious to me by having to come and do it. That's not the right attitude. The right attitude is wanting to do it. And that's all we need to understand. If you want to get the most out of your worship, you've got to want to worship. You know? I have a a son, uh, my oldest son. We had two girls and two boys. My oldest son was a little rebellious. And my wife and I, we homeschooled him. We sent him to a conference. And he did not want to go. He did not want to go. And you know what? He acted that way through the whole conference. As a matter of fact, they sent word back, you know, David just didn't want to be here. And he didn't exactly act like he wanted to be here. Later in his life, he, he confessed that he wished he hadn't have done that because he actually learned later what they were trying to teach him and made a difference. But the fact is, we don't want to be here just because we, somebody's pressuring us. The right attitude is that deep down in your heart, you want to worship God. And as we're going to see, you want to worship with the right people. But the right attitude is necessary. It also helps you in the right attitude to be prepared. We get up late, maybe it's one Sunday, we get to sleep in and then we rush and we do things and then we get here and we're just zipping down the road real quick to get here and fighting for a parking space, and everything just seems to be all hurry, hurry, and frustrated and frustrating, we have to do the right preparation, maybe Saturday night to get ready, to get things going, but also in worship, while the, while the prelude is being prayed, maybe centering down and praying a centering prayer, thanking God for being here, for us here together, for the church, and, and, and even coming to him and say, Lord, I, I, it's good prayer ought to be. A-C-T-S, it's also confessing and saying, Lord, I know I haven't served you as I should this week, and I'm sorry, and I want you to help me make better, and I do it better, and I want to feel your presence. I want to know your presence here. I want to be able to worship you in spirit and in truth. So that's what the prelude is supposed to be. It's not always just walking around and talking and doing things. There should be some time where we just have quiet to get ourselves prepared, that right attitude comes out. This isn't something that I'd rather be doing something else or I'm frustrated about life that's going on or I'm worried about somebody else or somebody made me mad. Those all have to be put away because your focus needs to come with a right attitude on coming to meet God and praising him. So David said, let me praise the Lord at all times. And then, continuously, or always, let me praise him with, let the praise be with him on my lips. I'll tell you a little story, really fun story, and I'm sorry I'm getting a little long here. Um, Coca-Cola has all these great, you know, and they worked very hard, right? They worked very hard to have these great sayings, these little short marketing words, you know, you, you may know them. Things go better with Coke. All through the years, they've had all these, right? So they came up with a phrase that said, um, always Coca-Cola. You remember that? Always Coca-Cola. That was one of their phrases. So about that time, that year, I went to Israel to go on a dig. And I started seeing signs in Hebrew that said Coca-Cola. I could could read it. So it's Coca-Cola. And you know what they had? They had this word tamid. Tamid means always. And it's just a funny little story because you could say, Tamid Coca Cola, or Coca Cola Tamid, the way they do it in Hebrew, always Coca Cola. Do you know the word always in, in the Hebrew Bible right here? It's Tamid. That's the word, always, continually. When he says there, his praise will always be on my lips. I just think about that Coca-Cola, and the world tries to take the thing that is the counterfeit for pleasure, the counterfeit for satisfaction. I mean, the ad people for Coca-Cola are very good at trying to convince us that the best thing in life is to sit down with a bottle of Coca-Cola. Well, actually, I'm a Pepsi guy, but nevertheless, they're trying to convince us that that's what life is all about. And that is a counterfeit because the real thing is always praise on our lips. It's Tamid always letting God's praise be on our lips at all times. David is calling us to have the right attitude. Number two, we need to get the right result. There is a result to worship. And sometimes we don't think that there's a result to worship. The result to worship is what God is doing in our hearts and in our lives. We think we just come and we worship, we go home, that's it. But that's not true. To get the most out of your worship, you need to understand that it's a process and a journey that starts with the right attitude and carries on through a result. And and we're going to talk about that, what the right result is. But verse 2, David says, verse 2, I will boast in the Lord. Now that phrase boast is, is pretty strong. Um, he says, my, my soul will boast in the Lord. My very being will boast in the Lord, will we'll literally praise him. We'll get, you know, I'm going to, hey, you want to know who can do it right? That God can. I tell you, you want to you find somebody who knows what they're doing, who does it right the first time, who's always Johnny on the spot, always doing it, it's got the be- That's God. That's a kind of thing of boasting in God. And you know why God wants us to boast in him? Because he wants the world to know who he is. Now, he can snap his fingers, I guess, if he has fingers. We talk about the finger of God. And make people do whatever he wants to do. But he created us with a free mind and an ability to think. And he wants the world to hear his people boast on him so they can rejoice and be glad. So look at the next phrase he says here. The humble will hear and be glad. Not the pride, the proud, not those who are arrogant, not those who think they know it all, but the humble, the people who really get it. You know, today we talk about being woke. People have to wake up or be woke to get it, to really ideas. Well, folks... We are sleeping at the wheel and we need to wake up and get what life is all about and what, time ma- what matters for time and eternity, and that is God and what God is doing. And if we humble ourselves, <laughs> if we come to our senses and say, you know, I'm just a human, God is God, then we will realize that God is doing amazing things. And when I hear somebody boast in the Lord... I can rejoice. See, so the result is that God wants to take your worship, see, and help other people who need to know God see that the answer to their struggles and to difficulties in life, the answer to the hope that they have that they haven't been able to find in all the counterfeits out there in the world, you know, when the beer company says it doesn't get any better than this, They want to know what they're doing wrong, and it is the people of God who boast in the God who loves them, who cares for them, who created them, and more than that, gave himself on the cross to die for them. Then they can really rejoice. That's what the result is. the, The word there, rejoice, means to be happy, and it means to dance down the aisles. And get excited, there is a, a part of Jewish worship, we don't do it here, but it's called Simchat Torah. The word Simchat is the word, the rejoicing, or the joicing in the Torah. That's the word that's used here in the Hebrew text, Simchat, rejoicing. And they use that word for a lot of stuff, like birthdays, and all rejoicing, and all that. But Simchat Torah is when they come up to what they call their ark, and they get the word of God out of it and they put it on their shoulders, and they dance up and down the aisles. They carry it. It's a procession. They're going, they're rejoicing, and they're dancing down and up and down the aisles. That's called rejoicing. It's getting so exciting that you can do a little happy dance. Well, we don't. We get. That's what we look at, you know, when we get to worship. <laughs> My little grandson... He, he learned how to do that, so he's, he's like one year old, and he goes like this. And we go, what are you teaching him? <laughs> but the idea is that worship, the right result is to know that worship goes through. It, it doesn't stop with us. God uses us to make us into what he wants us to be, to use us to help other people who are hurting and struggling. Now, we know we have our own problems, and sometimes we get so self-centered that we don't realize that people are watching us and looking at us, and we're out there on, on display for the world, and when they see us worshiping God and boasting in God, there's a response. The humble, the ones who are seeking, will rejoice because they see what God is doing in us. So if we want to get the most out of our worship, when we worship, we need to be aware that this isn't just a thing we do and we stop. We want to know what God is trying to teach us. We want to know what God's purpose is. So number three is we need to get the right purpose. The right purpose is found in the very first part of verse 3. David says, Proclaim the Lord's greatness. Exalt him, make him great. That word in in the Christian uh, standard Bible says proclaim the Lord's greatness, but others say exalt the Lord. It, it literally means make the Lord great. And the word great means to make him big. And it's got to be the next, the, God is the big thing. He's not the next biggest fad that comes along. He is it. He's big and he is Big, 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 as Barney Fife would say. It's big, 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 you know. I'm trying to make this understandable to the culture. Unfortunately, my culture is so old that they're looking at me like, what are you talking about? I go to class and teach students and crack a joke, and they have no clue what I'm talking about. You know. My favorite one is to remember the word for righteousness, which is Hebrews called tzedakah. You know, and so I say, you know, like Neil Sadaka, But, but he, he really isn't so righteous. That was the brothers who were righteous. You know, the righteous. They all, what? They think I'm crazy. So I'm just trying to tell you, God is big. Bigger than whatever we understood to be. And, and what, what David is saying is, I want to tell everybody. I want to let everybody know that God is great, and that's the purpose. God wants to be exalted and magnified. Well, the King James I says, "Oh, magnify the Lord, make Him big." You know, you know, what magnifying glasses, and then you pick it and make uh, real big. Well, that's what we want to do for God, and that's what our worship does, and that's how we get the most out of worship when we understand that God is doing this for the right purpose. And the right purpose is have the world to know His love, His care, and His concern for them. Yes, He is a judge. Yes, we need to fear Him. But we also need to magnify that He is absolutely a just judge. There is no bad attitude in Him. You can't bribe God. God isn't fickle. He doesn't do things for His own gain. He does it for the love of the people that he created, you and me, to restore us to him, despite our sin and the bondage that we have to sin, to bring us back into his family. And that's what he wants the world to know. You could say worshiping God with the right attitude and getting the most out of it is actually part of evangelism. Because we worship a holy and wonderful God. And the people in the world need to know that our God is that way. And when we make his name great, when we lift him up, when we praise him, when we boast on him, people get the right picture. And God's purpose is to magnify or to be magnified. God's purpose is to help other people doing that. A scholar said the primary purpose of worship is to magnify the Lord and to exalt his holy name that we may receive strength in so doing. The Lord is worthy of worship. His character is good. His deeds are merciful. His acts are just and his love is everlasting. Reverence the Lord. Adore him. Magnify his works. Exalt his holy name. We become evangelists uh, for the Lord. Because we praise the Lord and tell people, you know, we can, we can argue various philosophies, various theories, very logical conclusions and arguments, but people can't argue what God has done in your heart when you boast on the Lord for him and what he said. So we have to get, if you want to get the right, um, if you want to get the right, uh, the best out of your worship, you need to get the right attitude, the right result, the right purpose. And number four... We're almost finished here. We need to get the right crowd. And verse 3b, uh, he says, Proclaim the Lord's greatness with me. Now what David here is doing is that he's saying that he wants everybody else. And by the way, that word pro- or make God great is, is a, a parative. It's a command. So he's saying make God great with me. So there's somebody that he's talking to and who he's talking to are the people who understand him, the people who recognize that God needs to be praised. And so the psalmist here, uh, David, expresses his praise to the Father and then calls, this is why we call this a call to worship, because he calls people everywhere to join him in this worship, in holy worship. That's what we do. People, all people should worship the Lord for his goodness. And that's what a called worship should be. The heavens are, even if you look in the Psalms, the heavens are called to be glad, the earth is called to rejoice, the fields are to be happy, and the trees are to sing for joy. Surely everybody should praise and worship God, and we need to worship him. And when when we worship him, we'll be blessed. So you need to get the right crowd. And I think sometimes we go to the wrong crowds we spend our time listening and walking with them. Just read Psalm 1-1, and all they do is dump on God. They dump on other people. They're self-centered, and they don't know what life is all about or what matters for time and eternity. And if you really want to get the, the most out of your worship, you get with the right crowd. Now, you don't go to, to the worship service that's fatty, you know, that has fat, not fat, but fad, that follows the most common, the most newest fad. I'll say that right, fad. So it's, it's got the right kind of music. It's got the right kind of leaders. It's got the right stars up on the stage. And it becomes nothing more than entertainment. And we'll talk about that next Sunday because that's what I want to talk about, worship that counts. But here the point is you got to get with the right crowd. And you've got to find people who are humble, who recognize that worship has a purpose, that worship has to have a result, and that worship demands the right attitude. So we need to make sure we get with the right crowd. He says, proclaim, make the Lord great with me. And we all need to be able to do that together. If you want to be an essential church, what do you do? You focus, focus on the worship. I go and do a lot of interims, and people say sometimes to me, what do we need to do to fix our church because we're dying? I said, well, what's your worship like? If it's dying, you're going to die. <laughs> so let's get, get the worship alive. And, and, and well, we, we don't have the money to spend to get this. Don't, it doesn't matter. What you do matters more than anything else to make it alive. So you come ready and you get excited and you worship God and people, you know what? People are going to come because God is going to draw them. And they ain't going to necessarily draw them because, you know, we have the right, this kind of method or that kind of method. You're only going to get the people that that method is designed to get. But if you do it through God, then you get the people God wants. And I think that's a whole lot more important. Last um, get the right place now I, I'm not talking uh, well let me read verse the rest of verse three let us exalt his name together let us exalt his name together and, and that word exalt means to lift him up high to, to make him high the immature is great make God great and then to lift him up praise him boast on him It's just a marvelous thing But you lift up his name, and we exalt his name. And David says, let's do it together. So worship is not a one-person spectator sport. You don't come and sit and watch. You work together. You exalt God together. And that's important. So there has to be a unity in the church, in the body of believers, that this matters. It matters how you worship. Worship matters. And when you come together and assemble yourselves together for worship and you worship the Lord in the unity of purpose, understanding what God is doing, it's a wonderful thing. It's an amazing thing. You go and you say, wow, God was there. We were there. And when you meet God, hey, I dare say when you meet God, it's not a a ho-hum affair. It always changes us because the holy God is willing to be in our midst. It's a glorious truth that people all over the world worship in all places. I tell you what, I've been in a church service where the organist could only play in the key of C, you know, and only chords. Now, you try and sing some of the You ladies know, play, and people who do music. You try and sing some of those hymns in C. It didn't work. It doesn't work, but worship was there because it didn't matter. They were giving their all to praise the Lord. I've, I've worshiped in a storefront. They had to clean the beer cans out. I worshiped in a, in a Masonic lodge hall where they had to clean the beer cans out from Saturday night to have worship on Sunday morning. People worship wherever they are together because the presence of God is there. I mean, it's super nice to have the right building. It's super nice to have the right people up here who are skilled and talented. All of that is real and good, but we're going to learn next Sunday that doesn't count if the attitude and the heart is not there. And so we've got to get the right place. We need to make whatever place we are a place where people can come and worship in sincerity, in spirit, and in truth. There is an inspiration to people when they come together with a congregation that worships the Lord in the beauty of holiness. We humble ourselves and we call upon the Lord. And the Lord's presence is there and he teaches us and we grow and we learn and we go out and we make a difference in the community. I think that some people have tried, in, in, and, I, and I appreciate this, but they've tried to convince people um, to follow the right po- a political viewpoint or the right philosophy and the right ways of doing things that are cultural bound and human bound. But what we've lost is the jewel of worship. And what we've lost is bringing people to the Lord. In other words, we spend so much time doing everything else that we don't try to win people to the Lord. Evangelism has either been kicked out of the ministry of the church or it becomes the, the, the red-headed stepson and nobody pays attention to him. And I think worship is the key to evangelism. We get so enamored and so excited and so deeply changed by the very presence of God that we can't help but go out of this place when we gather together and boast upon the Lord and tell people what God means to us, what Jesus means to us, and how we have a God who actually meets us and comes to us and shows us grace and love. And it comes to us when we humble our hearts and we say, Lord, I'm yours then worship can really, really take off. If you want to get the most out of your worship, come to Jesus Christ and give your heart to him. And then your life will be absolutely positively changed. Worship will help you do that. He will teach us and he will help us to be the church that he wants us to be right here and right now. And we'll get the most out of our worship. We're going to have a hymn of invitation. It's how great thou art. The opportunity is to worship God, to sing our praises to him. I pray that one thing that providence will do, it will become known as a worshiping church. Let's stand and sing to the Lord.